Hello, I'm Volvo UK's Editor-in-Chief, Johnny Bentley, and I'm here to welcome you again to the Volvo Football Podcast UK. I say UK because we are all over the world, and obviously it's nice to have a bit of a identity, I suppose. This podcast brings you footballing insight, debate, and humour from the world's brightest young sports journalists. Not just Britons, as I said last week. I realise the error of my ways because we have an Alan from Poland and we have an Adnan from the United States. This week I'm joined by my main man, Callum Boyle and Varvel's newly appointed Southampton editor, Anthony Scott. On the agenda today is a look at the transfer market, a review of the Premier League action from game week one, a little look across Europe and the footballing antics overseas, and a breakdown of the Southampton situation at present. Now that's all out of the way, let's go straight into this. Yeah, yeah, after that wonderfully constructed introduction, I only spent two and a half hours on it. It turns out that Anthony's not here. Although I say that like I'm disgruntled or frustrated. Of course, that's not the main thing here. Anthony's actually got a last-minute emergency, won't disclose that information, and I wish him all the best. So, obviously, we did, well, not obviously, but I'm not Superman. I cannot magic people out of the sky. Uh, however, Callum is still here. Please do subscribe please do listen carry on listening i won't be talking all the way through callum's got a much nicer and more aesthetically pleasing voice than myself as he nods gently to that remark fair enough would mean a lot to both of us if you would do the subscribe the like review so yeah this week it's been a very big week the return of the top level of english football of course efl won't obviously won't discredit then they returned last week with the non-league teams as well and also some other leagues around the world as well returned to action last week. But this week, turn of the Premier League, turn of other major European leagues, and quite importantly as well, the return of the fans across the board. It's quite incredible, really, to see full stadiums, bustling vessels of atmosphere, reminding us what football used to be like pre-pandemic. On that level alone, before we delve into anything, it's quite a remarkable thing isn't it to see fans return and it, it makes you wonder how we survived so long without them in those stadiums very beautiful scenes all around watching people go wild beyond crazy just the noise through tv whether you're in the ground just everything about it natural sound rather than being pumped through some sound machine this fake it was just beautiful it didn't matter whether even the little things such as you know people booing the ref because of an absolute horror decision he's made that they think is just completely against their side. Just little things like that, you know, even like when you go to the ground, like the smell of Bovril all around the ground or whatever, you know, the, the endless queues to in the concourse, just so many little things which, you know, you often take for granted and then they come back and you're like, you know, it, it's really like, wow, football's back. As noted in the in the introduction, we'll look at transfers that could happen and have happened, some big ones, but we'll do that over the course of the Premier League overview and then maybe look as well at some of the action across Europe as well. Now, we did say we'd look specifically at Southampton. We will look at Southampton, maybe less specifically because the man who was going to cover Southampton is not here. So best place to start, really, I suppose, at the most recent action on the Sunday. Uh, this will be going out on the Monday, but Tottenham and... Manchester City, arguably, in my opinion, you could argue Brentford Arsenal, but when you look at the lineups, you probably think, you know, not quite as surprised as maybe some would have had thought. 
I would say Tottenham Man City probably the upset of the weekend in terms of many people did have Manchester City as as, as the clear favourites. Jack Grealish making his debut, Raheem Sterling on the playing in a in a three man attack, including Riyad Mahrez, Kevin De Bruyne to come off the bench later on, and. Although they were depleted, so were Tottenham playing a double pivot of Hoiberg and Oliver Skip, who was out on loan at Norwich last year. Tanganga was playing, David Sanchez was playing. It was it was there for the taking, it looked like, even for a depleted Manchester City team, but absolutely fair credit to Nuno Espirito Santo. Tactics spot on. Yeah, completely agree in the sense of tactics. Uh Say we say depleted that side that Man City fielded was the most expensive starting eleven in a uh, history of football. So um, whether we say it's depleted or not, I know I said the Tottenham team was depleted. Oh, did you? All oh, right, okay, okay, I'll let you off on that. Okay, yeah. yeah, obviously they're missing the big. It's not hit coming man. out in the edit. Carry on. Uh, they're missing their big hit man, Harry Kane. Obviously Spurs um, new signing Romero on the bench. Uh, oh, I think Oliver Skip was probably the biggest surprise. Mm. Uh, I think Tanganga is one of those ones where if you speak to Tottenham fans, they probably maybe weren't as surprised. I think we all expected Doherty to start because of you know the way he worked with under Nuno. But like you say, um, I think a lot of the focus was on whether Harry Kane was or not playing. And in some ways, I actually think that might have helped Tottenham because I think everyone was so focused on sort of how will they set up without Kane is that in a way that people almost had no idea what to expect and you mentioned it to me earlier. We thought the front three worked excellently for Spurs, didn't we? Mm. And sort of there was a real balance to them all. You know, Son loves a goal against Man City. He is always a player that sets the world alight in the Premier League, and he was he he was brilliant up front. But I think the biggest praise has to go to Tanganga. I thought he dealt with Sterling and Grealish really, really well. He he looked like a man that had sort of he looked like the seasoned veteran in the back line, really, and sort of you know, really took it by command, sort of gave Sterling no time, straight in on it. That was obviously a tactical element. And, you know, he nullified Grealish's threats to, to a point where you can't say Grealish was, it set the world alight in his debut, arguably his official debut. He came off the bench, didn't he, last weekend. But mm. yeah, Man City were lacklustre, I would say. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, we've seen it in the past in terms of an organised block and a an organised block and a structured counter attack that that really has outdone Pep Guardiola's team. We saw Jose Mourinho did it only last season with Young Minson and Harry Kane at that point leading the attack and uh, Kane himself. I think actually in that game it was it was Ndombele actually who scored and maybe Lacelso, but uh, it was Kane coming deep and orchestrating really that helped and it was an organised team as I say that beat Manchester City two by two goals to nil in this fixture last season and this time it was a bit different. Obviously you don't have Kane, but what they did have, as you noted, Lucas Bergvine and Son. An interchangeable front three, all of them with pace, all of them with the ability to dribble and relatively quick feet um, and uh, maybe Son who has perhaps the the least quick feet of the three because the other two have got very quick feet Son is the best finisher on either foot so what you have is a very very dangerous front three in a counter-attacking setup 
it was absolutely perfect in that sense that if Tottenham and albeit a Tottenham team that on paper didn't look like it could necessarily match Manchester City's, if they could nail their organization, which they did, and control the deep block, which they did, then they had the ability to hit direct balls over the top to that front three. And that front three, with their movement, with their pace and their ability to, or, or their desire to get on the ball and dribble, they would cause lots of issues. And they did. And they did. And, and as I said, interchangeable because Son is up front, but then Lucas is up front and then Bergvine's up front. And it's always changing. It's so difficult to, to keep up with that from a Manchester City perspective. What I would say, though, is that there's going to be another against Wolves, for example, next week or against Watford the week after. Tottenham are going to have the other side of the coin where they've got to break them down. Now that three then becomes less. I'm not going to say dangerous because the three very good players, but less, maybe less effective because suddenly Tottenham are not using the counter-attack game or if they are, they have to be more clever with it. It's an obvious ploy against Man City to play with that deep block and then counter, but against smaller teams where they are saying, come on to us, will Son, Bergvine and Lucas be as effective or will they need someone deeper to start to pull the strings and dictate? That's where maybe Deli Ali has to come into his own. Because I actually thought today Deli Ali was very quiet. Yeah, I think one thing that I also think works into... I think obviously they had the new manager bounce and, you know, first game back with fans. So I think that obviously naturally lifts... You get a natural high off that, don't you, really? But I think unlike today where the onus was very much on Tottenham and the underdogs, no one expects anything. They're going into the next two games where they're obviously going to probably be favourites to win the game. It's how do you cope with being that side that it's not now, uh, oh, it would be nice if we win. And what a great result that is to be a, a better side on paper. Next week, it'll be, right, you're the better side on paper. We should be beating Wolves and Watford. And all too often with Spurs in the past, that's their that's their biggest downfall when the expectation is on them to succeed. Mm. That's when they don't succeed. That's when they sort of crack under the pressure. So I know it's, it will still be very early days into Nuno's reign. And regardless, you know, the Wolves game will be very... Um, hotly contested because obviously he's returning back to Molyneux and it's Bruno Lash's first game but you know that's another uh, I think I think he just tacti- first game at Molyneux yeah first game at Molyneux tactically he was very tactically astute today and sort of you know he got a bit of criticism from Wolves fans towards the end of his reign about the style of playing it was how it was a bit passive and a bit too defensive not sort of utilising the best of the attack but I think he exploited Pet perfectly, and you know, he struggles. He's he, they struggled before at White Hart Lane, Man City. But you know, I thought he made the right idea straight away to attack the side of Ake and Mendy, who you know, they came for a bit of criticism for their performances in the community shield. And it showed again today they're miles off the pace when you have Laporte sat on the bench, even Stones sat on the bench as well, who both accompanied Diaz really well whenever they've played, and Zinchenko who's been sort of transformed into a left-back is a far better option than Benjamin Mendy, who just seems to have, despite being called a left-back, has absolutely no sense of what defending is. So I think Nuno got it bang on. And I think, you know, I think whilst Spurs fans shouldn't get too excited just yet, because, you know, there's still a lot to happen. Mm. it, It was a very positive start. Yeah, I think this it's as good as it could have got for Tottenham on that first game. City rather flat. I think as well there there is a there is a point with some of the big teams that with a lot of their players out, 
because of going far in the Euros or because of Euros involvement, then then that has left squads a little bit looking a little bit rough around the edges. Or, well, I mean, not Manchester City. You're, right, you're quite right. Manchester City. I never. I didn't say depleted anyway, but they aren't. You know, they have the squad theoretically to be able to deal with that. However, you know, I suppose it does the disruption of in pre-season, the people coming back late. It, it's 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 a factor, certainly. I do think it is a factor, particularly with how intense Pep Guardiola's training is. Generally, it might take people to get up to speed with that, particularly what well, Grealish, I thought, did okay, but he will probably, will probably see a lot more of him uh, in terms of what he can offer Manchester City over the, over the season, of course. Um, however, at the same time, you know, many big teams, many teams across the Premier League have had disruption to their squads in this period. And I suppose as a nice segue, really, Manchester United did have disruption. They were without Rashford, who was actually doing shoulder surgery, so it's slightly different. But they were also without Edinson Cavani because of his, or at least he couldn't start Edinson Cavani because of his Copper America assertions and the struggle to get back with quarantining and so on. They were also without Jadon Sancho because of his involvement with the Euros, at least from a starting perspective. So they, they couldn't start any of these players. But they did, even and of course Rafa Varane, who was announced in quite a spectacular way, I must say. Um, and then he was and, and selfie in the middle of Old Trafford. Not everyone could do that on the pitch. But it, but this was a good lead to as well, and, and they absolutely killed it because Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba were absolutely sensational and it's a really positive start on the red side of Manchester, at least. Yeah, uh, United blew them out of the water, really, and they did it last year to them, didn't they, when they sort of just, they pounced on the lead style of play, which we all know, and, you know, it gets a lot of love, the fearless attitude that Leeds just come out, and no matter who they play, they go for it, all guns blazing. But sometimes it doesn't work against certain teams, and I think against this Man United side who, you know, They've, they've just had the massive lift of Varane being announced on the pitch. I know you don't really have to get yourself up for a game like that. I mean, it's the first game back and what a game for it to be. You know, literally want like a, a, an old school derby, fierce rivalry and fans are already up for it. You know, there'll be players within that side, you know, like you McTominay's and that who sort of come through and know what this means and mm-hmm. sort of, I wouldn't say it's naive from Bielsa to go in all guns blazing against, but, you know, sort of maybe he could have looked to alter the way he played ever so slightly because I think, you know, as as soon as the first goal, you just saw it, they were getting picked off left, right and centre. You know, when Fernandes and Pogba are on that level, though, it is very hard to stop mm. people that calibre from doing what they can do. You know, you've got Mason Greenwood up front, who is a very, very, very confident finisher can use both feet very well, took his goal really well. But, you know, Pogba completely ran the show for me. I know mm. Fernando got the, ham- uh, got the hat-trick, but I just think Leeds were, you know, it just it just didn't work. And I know they had the, that little moment when they got the equaliser and people thought, maybe. But, you know, it's, it's just one of those ones. I think the first game of the season, it, that won't define Leeds' season, but to lose 5-1 on your opening day isn't a good start and I, I know we praise Bielsa all the time but I think he did get it wrong yesterday yeah I mean to be fair I'll counter some of those points really I mean 
from what I saw last season, second half of the season, their game management astronomically improved because it, it was almost like, say, a reminder to how Leeds first came up into the Premier League. A little bit gung-ho, a little bit naive defensively, a little bit too high, offering a few too many spaces in behind. But from what we saw last season towards the back end of the season, the second half of the season, their game management improved astronomically. Um, I think one key reason why they were so disjointed yesterday was that Calvin Phillips wasn't starting on the field. Calvin Phillips is a brilliant man for the balance. He he shields the defence. He allows the trans for an ease of transition up to the attack. He keeps the midfield balanced. He keeps people in check. He does such an underrated... Well, I'm not even going to say underrated because I think every Leeds fan will tell you he does such a phenomenal job in the middle of... Oh, yeah, the, saw that during the Euros as well. I mean, I'm one of those who very much question Calvin Phillips' inclusion, but yeah, I'm still not saying he's perfect, but he definitely proved his value into Leeds. That, yeah, you, you're right in the sense that there was a big Calvin Phillips-shaped hole missing mm. in there. Yeah, he's he's the lone six, isn't he? He's the lone six. And when you're a lone six, a lot of it, it basically means that you do control the tempo of the attack, you do start moves off, you do shield your defence, you drop in to make it a three, you do a lot. And also, uh, Firpo, the new signing from Barcelona, was on the bench as well, for whatever reason, maybe just getting used to uh, Bielsa's methods. And that meant Stuart Dallas was sort of filling in at left back. And obviously Dallas has been thriving more in the midfield role. And it just didn't, obviously Alioski's gone as well. Uh, and Alioski, I thought, had you know a really good end to the season last year. I think he had a very good season. So, it all felt a little bit disjointed. It all felt a little bit like, as, as I said, a throwback to how it, they were when they first came up. But I do think when Furpo gets into the swing of things, he'll be an excellent signing because he came with a brilliant reputation from Barcelona. Leeds have been excellent with the uh, recruits that they've got as well uh, since coming into the Premier League. So once he steps, settles into that left-back slot, I think that'll be great. But most importantly, like I say, getting Phillips in, restoring order and balance in the middle of the pitch will help a great deal. On the other hand, though, like you say, United, you're right. I do look at it and think Fernandes with a hat-trick. Pog was outstanding, though. And it's interesting because Pog was outstanding from a left-wing or left-midfield position, at least when you put the numbers to the positions and you draw your little formations. But re in reality, Pogba was in free role, wasn't he? Particularly going forward, so he could do anything he wanted. Well, him and Bruno both sort of, you know, we already know Bruno gets sort of that licence to mm. do what he wants in metaphorical terms. And I think he gave Pogba that. I think sometimes maybe Pogba felt last year that it was a bit out of the light because Bruno performed so well. Mm. And um, I think Oli sort of maybe might have said to him, look, go and do what you want because if Calvin Phillips isn't there, you're probably going to get the space. Because It was I a false nine, wasn't it, yesterday, basically? Yeah, yeah. I reckon it, well, I reckon if Calvin Phillips is on the pitch, he probably doesn't get the licence to do that as much. But then again, it could also work into his advantage that people know just how much of a threat Fernandez is. So much focus on going trying to stop him that Pogba gets all this way. It's like, you know, when we all talk about just how good Pogba is for France because he has Kante next to him. So he doesn't have to worry about his defensive duties. All he has to worry about is just sort of doing his own thing. And I think because the focus is so much on Fernandez in that United side, he is sort of the pillar in that side, you know, gets all the goals, gets all the headlines. Pogba can do what he wants. And that's when we know Pogba plays at his best when he sort of gets that careless 
do what you want role because mm. it's his attitude sort of perfectly, doesn't it? You know, sometimes he walks around the pitch and, you know, you sort of think that there's an arrogance about him and like he almost pretends he's too good or whatever and whatnot. But he um he was excellent. Uh, to be honest, I thought all of United are excellent, even, you know, like Dan Dan James was a surprise inclusion from the start. He he looked all Former right. Former team, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah. You know, that, uh, there was a real nice balance to United. And, uh, you know, that, that's, I thought Lindelof and Maguire worked really well together again. Mm. You know, it, it'd be quite harsh to see Lindelof drop out of the team, but you'd expect him to go out for Varane. You know, it's pretty hard to argue that otherwise unless he's going to about three but i can't see that happening. just a quick word on mcfred then i mean uh they get a lot of slander but they do they do do quite a competent job in most games that they're in i, I think they work really well together i think it's that sort of perfect balance isn't it you know they're both relatively defensive minded so mctominay is a bit more of the attacking outlook out of the two of them but i think that's the perfect balance you need and i think as well if you're going to have someone like pogba and fernandez in your side you need two people like McTominay and Fred who just sort of steady the ship a bit, don't you? Or an elite defensive midfielder that people are calling for in terms of, so you can potentially do what the France do with Pogba and play him in a pivot next to Kante, maybe. Yeah, but then again, yeah, maybe in the long run because, uh, you know, Fred and Fred out of McTominay more is more prone to the odd mistake. Sort of goes, goes missing and stuff. I don't think Fred's a bad player. And I think if you ask a lot of United fans which player has sort of improved the most, Fred, you know, there's a lot of people calling for, for him to go, wasn't there? Mm. And he's, it, I wouldn't say he's had like a big scale revival, but he's definitely sort of, I think he maybe took a bit more time than people hoped. Mm. Yeah. And he was coming from Shakhtar Donetsk, you know, you, you like it or not, the Ukrainian Premier League is a big, difference to Premier League football in terms of quality. One of them starts with Ukrainian, the other one starts with English, doesn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. That's quite a big difference. Quite a big difference. A number of letters. Took him a bit more time to bed in, but I think he's a really sort of consummate professional, if the word. It's a very big word. Consummate. Um, Love the word of the day for me now. Um, I think... Yeah, I think that's that's really well found. I know if, if United would have a perfect transfer window, their their ideal would be a number six, uh, defensive midfield number six, such as the fact that, as you say, you've got Tom and Fred, two honest midfielder professionals, complement each other well, but neither of them an elite out-and-out defensive midfielder. And the, the idea would be, of course, that if they could get someone in the mould of, uh, dare I say, a Wilfred Ndidi or a Declan Rice, then, then maybe that would be something they could look for. However... They have spent quite a, li- a bit already. Will they have the, the the ability to do it again and probably break the seventy three million pound record set this summer by them on Sancho? I don't know. So we'll have to see. I do think if they did, they would go from if they're not title contenders already, they'd be serious, serious title contenders. I think at that point. But yeah, we'll have to. Don't want to talk Man United all the way through. Not because I don't respect Man United as a football club, but because there's a lot of other clubs to discuss. Um, Chelsea. Another wonderful title favourite, arguably coming into the season, they were the second favourites. Many people call in Manchester City the favourites. They've now lost on opening day. Chelsea with a team, actually, that was a long way away from the, the starting team we would expect. Chalabar, Trevor Chalabar playing at centre-back in the back three and scoring a wonderful goal from 25 yards. Got Marcus Alonso at left wing back and scoring a trademark free kick. We have 
you know, I think that's Philly Quetta was at right wing back. Christensen deputising, well, not deputising, but playing over Thiago Silva, who you'd be more accustomed to seeing probably, even though he is ageing, still the main choice. No Kante, so you've got Jorginho and Kovacic. No Havertz, who's been in fine form. You've got Timo Werner up front and Pulisic on the left. So it was a very, very not full-strength Chelsea team against a new Patrick Vieira's new Crystal Palace team, and they absolutely killed it. Team, wasn't it, really? And sort of, you know, I think the Super Cup played a bit of part in that because obviously it went to penalties on Wednesday. So I think yeah. Sure enough, obviously, Lukaku wasn't ready to play today. No. He'll be, I should imagine. Thiago be Silva a... was on the bench as well. Yeah, yeah. Silva's yeah. bench. He'll, you know, imagine he'll feature at some point. Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, would say they were surprised to not see Chilwell start. I don't think I was particularly surprised. I think Alonso works better in a back as the wing back. Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. I must say, I think that Chilwell was outstanding for Tuchel on at the back end of, of that wing back yeah. end. Yeah, but I, I, I just think like you know, sort sort of when Chelsea play a back three, Alonso plays the back three a lot of the time. Over, over the. You're shaking your head. I'm getting, it, I am. Um, it does. It does, though. He is like the yeah. the first name you think of as left yeah. wing back. Whether he's better than Chilwell or not is another question. Personally. All um, all that's going in my head now, and I haven't done it yet, but I'm, the Donald Trump impressions coming out. He's like, Callum, you are fake news. You're fake. You're the fake news media. It's all wrong. Yeah. I'm sorry, um, I, I I don't agree at all. I think yeah, that, that um, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, no, it, I, I, well, it better be fine. Um, but I I just yeah. think where in the big games last season, Tuchel went Chilwell in that back three, not in the back three as a wing back, and I think initially it was Alonso. It was Alonso because Alonso was primarily a wing back and he wasn't a very good fullback, and Chilwell was a good fullback, and we weren't sure about his wing back credentials. But as the season went on particularly in the biggest games at the end, it was Chilwell, Chilwell, Chilwell. And I think with Chilwell, you get more pace. You get someone who can take on the opposing fullback and drive into advanced positions uh, more readily or more freely, put better balls in. With Alonso, of course, you've got someone who's a bit more of a physical presence, a bit big, a bit of a taller guy, can make himself big in terms of a uh, an overload at the back stick, say, if the right wing-back's crossing it in, you want an Alonso. But if but also at the same time, if Chil with Chilwell, you get someone who could drive a lot more and run the channels better. That's just I think there'll be no question in a few games it will be Chilwell back. Yeah, I should imagine it will. And maybe he didn't play Chilwell because of his summer. I not think that, so. Not that he played for England. No, really. but Reese James was the same, wasn't it? Reese James didn't feature. He came off the bench. Um, yeah. So, so or maybe there was just the tactical element to it. You know, it, you know, so Palace do have sort of a bit more of a physical presence at top, you know, Bentakes are hearts and that. So maybe maybe there was that thought behind it. We we don't know, but either way it must have worked because he scored a lovely free kick out. That's probably what he thought. He probably thought I'll get a free kick twenty five yards out yeah. and Marcus Chelsea, Chelsea won relatively easily. I don't think they were really troubled at all. Which mm. you know Palace were missing sort of Connor Gallagher who you would probably look at as another creative outlet. I think Palace were always going to be restricted in what they could do. I know they've got Michael Elise as a talented player. He Sean for Reading last year, so he probably didn't get to express himself. I think they already marked this one probably as sort of a free pass anyway. I know it's the opening day hmm. and you want to impress, but I think you know, he turned up to Chelsea, turned up to Chelsea away from home, European champions, won another cup on Wednesday. Hmm. 
bags of talent, bags, you know, bags of ability, full of confidence, just mm. signed Barku back. Yeah. Nat- as I said earlier, with sort of uh, Spurs nat- natural high, you get, you know, Stamford Bridge back. And I-, I think it was just sort of very, very um, comfortable for Chelsea. Um I think I said this last week, didn't I? I'm not overly convinced about Vieira, but you won't judge, nobody can judge him off that game, really, because it's not a game that people expected to win. No, they look really passive, I think, uh, and that really helped with Jorginho and Kovacic, particularly Jorginho in the middle. You, if you're passive on Jorginho in the centre of the park, he's going to cause a lot of problems because he's a fantastic dictator of play. And many of the players really look like they looked a little bit unsure about what they were trying to do and what they were trying to implement, which you would expect after years of Roy Hodgson, there's been a lot of turnover in the summer as well. Although many of those players uh, were still there uh, playing for Crystal Palace last season. Uh, it's still going to be that bedding in period of, okay, you know, this is a very different style of play. We're not just a deep block. Now we're going to try and be a bit more progressive. We didn't really see too much of that yesterday. I do think again, off the ball, they were a bit too passive. It's something we're going to have to give time to, and of course, the next game against Brentford will be a better um, barometer of where they're at. And as Vieira said, he seemed to he's already calling for time, which always suggests, you know, that there's a, there's a lot to give and that he's maybe not feeling too confident mm. at present. But yeah. barometer better will be will be better next week. Well, I do think they need more players. I think they need a couple more players in, to be honest. And, you know, as you alluded to, it's such a big shift in style of play that they're probably obviously going to go for. I feel like they're going to go from more of a side that was relying on counter and sort of, you know, banks, sitting in banks and defending deep. They're probably going to yeah. look to have more possession of the ball. So, you know, it's 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 not easy to, it's not an overnight fix for some people. It is, but mm. for a lot of the time it isn't and there will be sort of things, you know, that I know that's what pre-season's for, but even still, it takes time, you know, it might take a couple of months, it might it might click next week and we might see a completely different Crystal Palace. But like I say, it's one of those games, Chelsea away, it's very hard when you're sort of someone like Crystal Palace to go, let's go win that open day. It's very much a, let's go, if we get a point, great, but it's not the end of the world if we lose. Their season won't be defined on beating Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. No. No, uh, just just you, you touched on it again. We will touch on transfers that have gone in and, and, and whatnot, but Lukaku, game changer, really. They create chances, maybe not as many as City or Liverpool, but the chances that they do create, really, they're not, they, they were never really clinical enough with throughout the two clearer. We even saw that as recently as the Super Cup. I think there were chances where they could have killed the game, really, before it went to penalties. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Lukaku's the answer to that. Significant upgrade, you know. You know, whatever your thoughts are on sort of Tammy Abraham and Timo Werner, I still think they're both great players. You'll see Abraham looks like he's going to Roma. I think he's uh, gone. Five-year deal, isn't it? I think. Uh, pretty much done. He's having his medical today, isn't he? So, yeah. Happy um, Abraham. Look, I mean, Lukaku is a significant upgrade on the both. I think I still think Werner could click maybe in the future, but either way, whatever he doesn't score, he still contributes to the team with his assists. So it's only going to help Lukaku. You've got Havertz and... You know, Chilwell, Alonso, James, Aspilicueta, all ZX, wonderful technician delivery. This is Lukaku's playground, really, isn't it? And I'd be very surprised if he doesn't end up on the... Uh, my my big prediction is him and Kane are sharing the golden boot at the end of the season. So I think 
Lukaku's going to have him. So I don't think they'll win the title, Chelsea, but I think he'll push them even the, even closer. He 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 is the definition of a one chance and finish, isn't he? Yeah. No, it's very true. Uh, very t- maybe two, maybe two chances, but even then, one in two is still fantastic. Um, it really, really is. The yeah, we touched on it actually. The Crystal Palace as well. They do play Brentford next week. They had a phenomenal start, really. Everything you could have wanted. It reminded me of an FA Cup tie in many ways. Their win over Arsenal. Tony and Dembuo were fantastic. Um, up top, real handful. I think what impressed me about Brentford really, what 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 could be sustainable for them in the future is that they can do a bit of both in terms of not too predictable. So they can play through the lines and transition the ball from goalkeeper to striker to the defence, the midfield, to the attack because they've got players who are comfortable in receiving the ball and transitioning it forward on the deck. But they've also got players who have seemingly ingrained into them common sense now into their brains in terms of, oh no, we're going to get closed, closed down. We'll dink it over the top to Tony or we'll or we'll play a ball into the channel and someone can run onto it. It doesn't seem like they're fixed into a way of playing like maybe a Daniel Farkas Norwich might be, or had been uh, two years ago. And that could, again, the unpredictability, the fact that they can do different things and, and play to different strengths depending on the opposition, that is, a, that is a promising thing, particularly at the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah, Thomas Frank's an excellent manager and very good tactician. I think he got it spot on and I think he knew exactly what he was doing from minute one and you know a lot of people sort of cast out over Brentford because of the lack of recruitment they've brought in two players but Onyenka in the middle was outstanding real sort of battler in the middle of the park he really helped uh, Tony and Mbwemo up front work so well together I think because a lot of the focus is on Tony because of his goal scoring record last season Mbwemo was that unknown entity wasn't he coming into the league and I thought you know he he had Ben White on toast in there a couple times. You know, so it was more sort of that no fear of get the ball, drive and run at this Arsenal defence. We know I've got plenty of cracks in them, you know, and he, they did it so well. Just everything about Brentford was really well drilled. They looked like a side that had been in the Premier League for five, six years, you know, like and, and whereas Arsenal, as I'm sure we'll come on to in a couple of seconds, just complete and utter disaster really wasn't it i would say though and this is very true that that game week one match week one <laughs> i suppose it's game week if you play fantasy football match week if you don't um it's never reflective of a season i mean the amount of times that in the early weeks of a season teams have done amazingly well amazingly well and teams have done amazingly poorly on a particular amazingly poorly that doesn't really make sense but disastrously poorly maybe We've seen, we saw it last season. We saw Aston Villa beating Liverpool by seven goals to two. We saw a few seasons back when Norwich, you know, four or five games into the season, beat meet Manchester City 3-2 at the time the Champions of England. And then they went down really quite convincingly by the end. There is always, and I think this with the first three, four, five game week fixtures, it doesn't really ever, it's such a small sample size and teams are still getting used to some of Brentford, for example, riding that euphoric wave of being up. Arsenal coming into it without two strikers, two proven Premier League strikers, the only two that they have. That's a big loss. I don't care who you are. You lose two Premier League proven strikers who could score Temple's goals. That's a big loss. We shouldn't read too much, should we, into the opening fixtures, really? No, never. I always say 10 games sort of sets, then it sets the tone of how it's going to go, really, doesn't it? Because, you know, there's, there's so many things, you know, transfer window is not even yet 
over yet. So teams are still going to recruit, sell, think twists and turns will happen. You know, 10 games in, a manager could have been sacked or could have been poached by someone else. You don't know what's going to happen. So I think, you know, people shouldn't get carried away on either side of the coin. If your team's won, don't get carried away saying we're going to win the league. Mm. And then if your team's lost, don't go around saying that they're going to get relegated because quite simply, nobody knows. There's still 37 games to play. That's a lot of games to play. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal as well. I mean, there, there was, I mean, Arsenal fan TV was the top trend on Friday night, which is quite funny. Um, the, the issue with, as I said, I touched, touched on it then, not to have Lacazette and Aubameyang available. We'll probably touch on that in further weeks if the situation hasn't resolved itself. But on the opening week, not to have them available, sort of announced it from the media on the day. They are, regardless of what form they've been in in the past year, they are two players who know where the back of the net is and Balogun coming in is raw he's young and he's just nowhere near the same level I mean you'd probably argue to pick at Eve Antonio over Balogun on the, given the opportunity so that shows the levels they're at the amount of times Tierney and Smith Rowe got into promising positions but couldn't find the striker at the end of the at the end of that opportunity was a little bit you look at it you think well if they had had an Aubameyang or a Lacazette they might have got on the score sheet really against Brentford. They did create almost chances quite a lot of the time. However, that aside, um, and, it, and I do I do say Tierney and, and Smith-Rowe did play well and Shaka was okay. I think there was a real lack of conviction in terms of players knowing what they were doing. I mean, even right from the back from Leno, who's had his future sort of been disputed this summer, he looked like someone who didn't know what he was going to be doing at the you know the, the next day because everything he did he was he was a bit he, he seemed tentative passing the ball out he was arguably at fault for both of the goals he looked un, he looked unfocused he looked disorganized in himself the defense looked unfocused and disorganized in theirself the midfield in front Shaka I thought was okay La Congo I said to you I think he was okay nothing special transitioning the ball out looked like an effort when it got to Smith Rowe when it got to Tierney you thought oh something could happen here but it was getting the ball to them. And it was all a little bit discontinuous. It didn't look brilliant, but they did have two key players up front missing. And if they were there, they might have found the back of the net in one or two of those instances. So it's hard to read too much into it, but it was a bit bleak, wasn't it? It's hard. I think the one thing you always say with Arsenal for years and years, you know how they're going to play. So under Wenger, you knew how they would play. Even under Emery, to some extent, you knew sort of what, they were going to that Arsenal side. Right, I had no idea what they were trying to achieve. It looked like loose holes all over. It it looked so disjointed. You know, when you look at that eleven on paper, it looked it's one of the weakest Arsenal sides I've seen in a long time. Mm. You know, you know, there's there's players which have promise, not sort of the you know Martinelli potential. Pepe worth seventy two million, probably mm. not on sort of his overall title. Ben White, not his fault they pay fifty million, but would you pay no. fifty? No, very good defender, very promising, but had a shocker on Friday. I thought, mm. I thought Pablo Mari looked very weak. Callum Chambers, not a right back. No, not a right back. And again, poor Jacker. You said was okay. I thought he was. Mayor, just very average. Lukonga, very hard to judge. He was one of those people, I wouldn't say he was a passenger, but he sort of did nothing wrong, but you couldn't say anything he really sort of did very well. Mm. 
Tierney and Smith Rowe were the only ones that came out with a bit of credit for me. Leno all over the shop. But then again, why would you want to replace him with Aaron Ramsdale? Yeah, it doesn't look like that's going to happen now, according to... Yeah. I just, there's so many losers. And you can understand the frustration from Arsenal's perspective because I know it's the first game of the season, but this has been a problem that's been going on since last season, isn't it? You, I, I struggle to figure out what Arsenal's identity is at the minute in the way they play. You say Lacazette and Aubameyang would have made a difference. They might have done, we don't know. But I thought, regardless of Balogun's experience, I thought Brentford defended ever so well. They sort did, of, they did. Uh, I think even Aubameyang and Lacazette would have struggled against that. I have no doubt they did. They performed really well. As I say, with Brentford, it was like an FA Cup tie, wasn't it? And then, yeah, in some ways, you, it looked like Arsenal were the side that came up from the Championship, yeah, and did. Brentford were the Premier League side who a, a wealth of history behind yeah. them. And Long, yeah, yeah. I, whether Arsenal improve or not, we don't know. You know, they've been cry. The the thing for me is they've been crying out for more attacking options, haven't they? But why have they gone out and? Not got that, you know. They arguably because they can't move on one of the, the some of the big money attackers that they've got already. Willian on crazy money, Abamyang on crazier money, Lacazette on quite big money. But again, some of, some of those would command a fee, I suppose. But who's going to pay? Who's going to give them the the well, salary? It's not just that as well. It's all the players happy. You know, the players are quite content. You know, Willian earns is what two hundred thousand pound a week. He lives in North. He lives in London. He's he's got quite a nice life, hasn't he? You know, unless he's going to sort of Qatar, Saudi Arabia, where they probably match that salary, maybe. Mm. Where who else is going to pay that? No one's mm. going to pay them that wages. You know, uh, I just think there's just so many things wrong with Arsenal. You could do a whole podcast alone on it. Won't do that. Won't do that. Um, on to uh, well, cover quite a lot there, really. In terms of some of the game, I mean, we'll touch slightly less on some of the others because again, they you know sort of. Our audience, Vardal's audience, Vardal's clicks do generally come from some of the unfortunate, well, I'm not going to say unfortunately, but as a Burnley supporter, writer, editor, they do generate, the people that, teams that do generate the most are generally the bigger teams. So there you go, that's your fill. But of course, we do have a, you know, a wonderful array of other teams in that league. Myself, my team, uh, Burnley, unfortunately this weekend, very, very frustrating really. I mean, I, you know, Brighton, from their credit and coming into it looked a little bit off the pace without natural wing backs, or at least they were playing almost with Gross and Trossard as a left wing back at one point in the match. And then at some points in the match, doesn't really suit either. Sally March on the other side as well. Really, I think missing Lamptey and, and Dan Byrne as well as that ridiculous and orthodox left wing back uh, that marauds down the field and makes himself a physical presence. And then Lamptey, of course, we haven't seen for about six, seven months, uh, you know, running the channel on the other side. It was, it, it, they did look a little bit disjointed. They are, you know, the wing backs are so important Brighton. They do like to utilise them uh, to the best of their ability. And they did look a bit flat. Burnley bullied them for 45 minutes and then it all collapsed really after about you know, an hour and just Brighton had two chances. They scored two goals. Burnley's overall bullying kind of physical play got less and less effective. Crossers became more and more aimless. The press, which was so good in the first half, became less and less impactful. It was more of a half press. The organisation became less organised. And it was quite a quite a dreary outlook for me, really. Um, just sort of seeing that out unfold. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very unlike Burnley, isn't it? You know, mm. sort of Burnley are one of those sides that often you, they're probably one of the few teams that you'd hate to go behind to first because they're very rigid defensively, aren't mm. they? Very well set up. So 
they're probably one of the last sides you want to go behind to first because quite often they probably have enough about them to see it out. But maybe that's just because they score really early. You know, mm. Tarkov a nice early goal. Uh, contentious one, would you say? No. Obviously, you know, the, you know, I, 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 I've, I've got fifty-fifty about it, the push on it, but at the same time, it's what any of us would do. So, you've answered just, your own question. It's, it's very fifty-fifty. So, uh, in 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 words, as some of my mates say, I've seen them given. Let's put it that way. I've seen them. I've seen them given as fouls, but obviously that one wasn't given as a foul after being checked by VAR. Mm. Uh, Brighton, we always know Brighton play really nice football. They were Brighton quite flat yesterday. I mean, what what I think the, uh, the, the change did do well, actually, Carl, I was going to say, like, Trossard was moved from more the wing-back or deeper position to just off the forward. And Trossard's a phenomenal player, hence why he's in my fantasy football team. And I think that uh, I didn't want him to do well yesterday, obviously, but um, he was uh, a joy to watch, really. He, was, he had the defenders on strings. Then he came off. I thought, what's Graham Potter doing? And then McAllister scored, so I thought, well, that's why he's a manager. Um, yeah. What are those? I mean, Brighton are on those sides. Would you say that Brighton were more clinical then? Because obviously a lot of the criticism yeah. for Brighton is play nice football but don't finish chances. And otherwise, if they did, then they'd probably be pushing for mid-table top half play. So maybe we might be seeing a more clinical Brighton of, yeah, they might not have played as expansive, attractive football as they mm. did normally. But got the result because they were clinical and took their chances. Whereas, you know, Burnley, as you said, Burnley bullied them in the first half. Burnley could have maybe even had the game done first half. It's, mm. it's a, you know, it's one of them things that, you know, I'm sure Burnley will bounce back. Mm. I think Burnley need a couple more players, don't they really? Mm. Think something. You know my thoughts on this. So just, uh... Yeah, I think recruitment's very much a, you know, maybe that might be the wake-up call for it to, sort of persevere based on previous experiences no mm-hmm. new chairman though hopefully Mr Pace and co are working on things maybe Maxwell Cornet will come in from Leon. that's the that's the one that he did play this weekend though in, in Leon's match so we'll just have to wait and see and monitor that I would like that though it'd be interesting um just to touch on Leicester as well you were at the game uh yeah. Leicester won Wolves nil I, you know, from from highlights perspective, watch match of the day. Of course, I can't see all of these games live, but I do make general observations and sort of see read up on them. I actually thought Wolves played really well. To be fair, certainly Bruno Lars's first match uh, in charge thought they created some really good chances, particularly the Triore one on one, which I thought, what's he doing? Typical of Triore that he's so fast, he's so hard to get off the ball, but his technical end product requires a bit of work. I actually thought Wolves created some very, very good chances on looking up to draw the game. But Vardy's goal was outstanding. I can't take that away. And brilliant from Ricardo Pereira, how he got it in. Very much game two half, I'd say. First half, Leicester were really good, looked really lively. Midfield three, Onsong, Madison looking to pick up the ball. Pereira looks back to his best, in which before his injury was probably arguably the best right back in the league. He was outstanding. Uh, Thomas, again, deputised very well for Ryan Bertrand, who tested positive for COVID, otherwise it would probably have been Bertrand in from the start. So really nice to see Luke Thomas again. As you said, for an Adama Traore, sometimes I can't work out if he's a really good footballer or a really bang average footballer. Good athlete. So, so hard to brush off the ball just because of sheer pace and power. But that one-on-one, you should be finishing that all day long. And then in the second half, he burst away, had all the time in the world to either shoot or cross 
midfield that crossed to Raul, who, by the way, I'll just touch on a side note, really nice to see Raul Jimenez back in a competitive game. Mm. Um, really nice to see after the, sort of his horror injury last year. So just sort of, that was really nice to see him back playing. Um, but anyway, yeah, Trial just decided to cut the ball back and it was very weird. Vardy's goal, excellent. Really, really well taken. But then again, he also frustrated me in some ways. There missed a good one. chance in the second half. Yeah, there was one where he flicked the ball in the first half and all he had to do was let it bounce in front of him once more and he's hitting that on his right foot on a half volley. There was one where he was driving towards the fence and all he had to do was lay it across the wheel in Atro, but he took so long to lay it across to him. By the time it had come to be in Atro, he was closed down. Um, yeah, it was one of those ones where I think... You know, I think Wolves fans should be very encouraged. We said they were quite an un... No one really knows where to put Wolves this season. But I think, you know, Bruno Lowe's, you made a bold decision not to start Nelson Smedo, uh, put Keanu Hoover there. Thought he was very solid. Uh, mm. You there were you could sort of, you know, Trincao grew into the game. First half, he was a bit quiet. Second half was a, was a lot better, actually. He was, he was the focal point of a few things. Wolves, are, I think Wolves were excited teams, actually. I think you know, last season, back in the last season, they were very passive, quite not the most exciting to watch. But there's, there's, I think they still need a couple of players. I think they're a bit light uh, up front in the centre half, definitely. Um, but no, I think Wolves are excited. I think for, for Leicester, uh, wasn't quite as impressive as last week. I think it was very much a play well first half, second half sort of was a bit hung on for a bit but then again I think that speaks more about being at quite a good defensive performance in some ways as well um, we've got quite a tough game coming up next Leicester as well so I think it's the perfect way to start off I think three points is definitely important Wolves I think can give Spurs a really good game next weekend actually I think I think both teams can be encouraged but both teams know that it's still quite a fair bit to work on yeah uh, very well put uh, Watford beating Villa as well uh, you know Watford, I, I thought Villa was so poor defensively, really, from, from the off, really shambolic all the way through. Marlis Nakamba playing, Douglas Louise not playing, perhaps that's why I think Douglas Louise is a very good orchestrator in that double pivot with McGinn. Nakamba didn't have his best game whatsoever. Target had quite a poor game, uncharacteristically. Mings all over the shop. Martinez could have probably saved the, um, the first goal. Obviously deflection and then a wonder goal. I have to say the McGinn goal was fantastic and obviously Danning's got a late penalty, but not too bad from Watford's point of view. Um, you know, the, the, certainly certainly some positivity for the promoted teams. Well, yeah. apart from Norwich. Yeah, definitely. Um, Norwich, uh, sorry, not Norwich, you said Norwich to come out there. Watford, mm. um, yeah, Watford impressed. I still don't think they'll stay up. Um, I think Villa were just quite poor, to be honest. Uh, well, I do think Leon Bailey changed the game a bit when he came on. Mm. Lovely ball. For McGinn's goal, that's exactly the sort of thing they want from him, and sort of thing he'll deliver because he's a, he's a very good footballer. Leon Bailey is. Um, I, yeah, Villa were just not like they were last year. I did say last week in the pod that I thought they'd take a bit of time to adjust without Grealish, but it will click eventually. I think when you're bedding in three attackers, essentially, you know, when they're Ings. And Bailey, I know he came off the bench. You know, it's going to take time because these are, that's three new players in sort of an area of the pitch. They've, and they've not, none of them have sort of played together before. So they've got to sort of get used to 
the whole vibe of how each of other works, what they do best, you know, re-learning how each other make their runs and whatnot. So I think it will click in time for Villa. I think just, you know, after sort of the excitement they had last season, the sort of, could they break in, you know, and they spent a lot of money this summer. Um, they, they, they'll be disappointed because they would have marked that as a game that they could win, especially if they've got ambitions of challenging for a spot in Europe this season. But Watford, overly encouraging. I don't think there'll be an easy side to play against, but I, still, I think, you know, teams will, there's better teams than them. And I think they, they were quite, they were quite simply up for it and were playing the side that sort of just weren't at the races. Mm. I mean, yeah, with Norwich and Liverpool, it's a bit different, I suppose, isn't it? Because Norwich had the toughest of the promoter team's jobs, I think, to, to take on this Liverpool team. Liverpool team, Fabinho still, well, wasn't available. He, he didn't start. He, he did come on, I think. And then Henderson as well didn't start. So it was it was Milner in the midfield as well, uh, sort of pivoting with um, with Keiter, I think, as well, and Oxlade-Chamberlain. So you also had Salah, Mane and, and, and Jota up front. It was, yeah, I, I, I make shift Liverpool team a little bit. Van Dijk coming back really helping with the, uh, with, with the with the build up from the back with accurate diagonal balls out wide. Jota being a nuisance. Salah was fantastic. It's not necessarily a game you'd expect to. You, you learn too much from Liverpool, say a bit like with Chelsea, I suppose. To be fair, and they were they, they welcomed quite a few players back. Obviously, Robertson not playing as well. Simicast did quite well. Still made some mistakes, but. I think that's a fairly, um, you know, it was a it was a fairly assured assured day out, and they kept the clean sheet, which was really important. But just lastly, on the on the uh, on the wonderful game today, actually between Newcastle and um, uh, and West Ham, four goals to two, uh, Bruce out was trending, which is generally a regular occurrence every time Newcastle lose. But uh, I thought it was a fantastic game of football, really, between you know two. Well, I was going to say Alan St. Maximan was running the show for Newcastle and West Ham had several that were running the show for them, really. So it was maybe a little bit more of the St. Maximan show and then a quite orchestrated, well-put-together new West Ham counter-attack in that second half with Ben Rama doing well, Antonio and Socek getting on the act. But great game to watch from neutral. Best game of the week. Yeah, 100% game of the weekend for me uh, to watch. So, no... It was very unlike, you know, you hear a lot of stuff about the way that Steve Bruce sets up at Newcastle and, you know, they talk about how they don't like his football, whatever, but I thought they played quite exciting stuff in the first half. You know, St. Maximan had Rice well and truly on toast, didn't he, for that first goal. Excellent movement from Callum Wilson. We know he's a really sharp finisher, don't we? He's very good in the box. He, them two alone are enough for Newcastle to stay up. Um it was a bit disappointing the way they collapsed. The penalty was a very dubious one, wasn't it? Uh, on that front, West Ham sort of clicked, didn't they? Up front, Bowen, Ben Rama, both very unpredictable on the ball. Ben Rama, in particular, he's got that silky sort of style about him, hasn't he? Mm. Um, Mikel Antonio bullies people up top. Not your traditional sort of centre forward. He's been sort of turned into transformed into a centre forward. You know, a lot of people crying out for a strike at West Ham. Probably still need one. Um, lovely finish for the fourth goal. Really, really well taken, actually. Um, and then, obviously, Declan Rice, first game back. So, he looked a little bit rusty at times, but I thought he commanded quite well. Led like real captain should do. Uh, Suchak, solid as a rock, as always. Um, yeah, West Ham, I wouldn't say West Ham were 
It was one of those ones where I wouldn't say either side was great. I'd just say West Ham were clinical, to be honest. Yeah, no, as you say, clinical, very, very good game of football. Really, I'd say end-to-end, like you said uh, to me before. Really, really, really good stuff. And it was a joy to watch from a neutral perspective. And of course, we're going to save Southampton for last, but Anthony's not here. But we'll just briefly discuss that, you know, they've been obviously sold Danny Ings, sold Vestergaard to Leicester, sold Bertrand to Leicester. Well, didn't sell, but released Bertrand and Bertrand went to Leicester. So it's it's been a bit haphazard for them. Brought Adam Armstrong in, fantastic goal against Everton, put them 1-0 up. But then Everton found their mojo in the second half. Awful defending for the first goal that they conceded. Brilliant goal from Decore to make it 2-1. And they got a, th- a one at the end. Dominic Calvert-Lewin squeezed a shot, squeezed a header under under Alex McCarthy. Bit of pressure off Benitez, who was, you know, obviously for his rival Steve Bruce for most hated man amongst his own fans. But he, you know, they were, yeah, uh, it was a tough first half. They didn't look too good, but they were whipping lots of balls in. They were whipping lots of crosses in. Calvert-Lewin should theoretically um, take advantage of that over the season. Of course, he thrives off crosses. Richarlison, goal and an assist, looking lively. It's like a 4-4-2 it was for Everton. And, you know, Townsend and Gray literally get the ball, whip it in, back to basics. At least they have some kind of identity. I don't know how well it'll serve them this season, but I suppose it could be, can't be much worse than some of the dire football that happened under Carlo Ancelotti towards the second half of that of last season. I, I really wasn't that impressed at all, but... There we go. More worrying, as I say, for Southampton. Sold a lot of the best players. Armstrong looks like a good buy. But there are some gaps to plug, certainly in that squad, because it's looking quite weak at the moment. And it's, it, again, uh, we both said 20th for their position. It's hard to look beyond that, but we'll have to for now because we've got to go on to European discussion. Um, weren't going to leave any team forgotten. Uh, good job, there's an edit button. So, a massive result for Borussia Dortmund. 5-2 win over Eintracht Frankfurt. Erling Haaland, man of the hour. 160, 170, 180, 290 million pound bids being quoted this summer. 40 million of that was probably to Minarella. But he got two goals and three assists. So phenomenal numbers. Brilliant start. Lewandowski also scored in a, in a 1-1 draw against Mönchengladbach. Obviously, Dortmund top, they'll hope to stay there, will they? I don't know. But I tell you what, uh, Julian Nangelsmann's Bayern Munich looked all at sea for a good portion of that first half against Mönchengladbach. Pamecano looking like the brilliant player that is on the ball, but also the slightly unconvincing defender that he is to a point in a back four, not a back three. There with Alfonso Davies, two people pushing really high, leaving a lot in behind. Sula next to him, not the quickest. And they were, they were, much glad about ring three times in that opening 10 minutes. And eventually mm-hmm. they scored. Lewandowski got a 1 1, but work to do for Nagelsmann and, and Marco Rosa, dream start as Dortmund manager. I think, from the buying perspective, I think it's going to take them a little bit of time to get adjusted to the Nagelsmann way of thinking and style of play. It will click eventually because I think Nagelsmann is the most talented young manager out there. He's outstanding. Uh, this is going to resemble a fair bit of Bundesliga and a fair bit of Leipzig. It, w- it will click there. It's just, it's the first game back. You know, it's, it's a lot of, you know, they're away. It's a uh, much in glad background. They've got new manager, um, fans back there, you know, sort of a lot of 
things taken to that, and of course it's Bayern, and you always raise your you always raise your game when you play the champions on the first game, don't you? So I think I, I, you know it's 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 a draw. It's you know probably not what anyone expected, but it will click for Bayern. They will yep. hit Cameron. Dortmund perspective, really good. Haaland machine as per just everything about him. You can it's going to be such a good bidding war next summer for him because he's going to stay this this summer, which I'm really glad he is actually. Yeah, I think help him in the long run. You know, Marco Rosa plays really nice football. And he used to manage him at Red Bull Salzburg. Exactly that. So there's already that connection, isn't there? Mm. So they have a clear identity of playing. And I think Dortmund are going to excite people. I think, you know, a lot of they people... They always do, don't they, really? To play. Lot, I think there are a lot of people, they're sort of the hipsters' favourite team, aren't yeah, they, yeah. really? Not yours, though? Um, I don't I don't mind them. They're, they're all right. They're, they're nice to watch, but I wouldn't go out of my way to say I really love them. No. They'd probably feel the same about you. Um, yeah. But... In La Liga, top, well, top R, I don't know, 4-1 win over Alaves, Barcelona, currently as we record this 3-0 over Real Sociedad, so if they get another goal and Real Sociedad don't get another goal, then Barcelona will go top. Who needs Lionel Messi? Who needs Lionel Messi? That's the truth. Um, PSG? PSG do that. 4-2 win over Stroudsburg. He came onto the pitch. He didn't actually play, but he was on unveiled on the pitch before the kickoff. Mbappe was actually booed during the announcement of the uh, of the teams because of his desire to leave and not sign a contract. Um, but yeah, PSG winning 4-2 against Strasbourg. Strasbourg got a man said tough. I mean, you'd imagine the Galacticos of, of France will storm the league. You would think, it didn't happen last year, but you would think now it's, it seems, and whether they get the Champions League will be the thing that we look at and judge them on at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I watched a bit of the PSG game and they're just far too good. Um, yeah, there's we, you know, Wijnaldum played very well. Icardi got a goal. Mm. It's just very simple for PSG, wasn't it? And uh, I think the big talking point was obviously Lille losing 5 0 to Nice, who are now managed by the former manager of Lille, who won them. Yeah, the Christophe Gaultier. So, um, very disappointed for Lille, but obviously their financial troubles off the pitch have really affected them on the pitch. They've lost mm. three, four really good players and their manager. So Nasty. Could, be a, could be a long season for them. Nice, very nice start to the season. Very nice start. Yeah. That would have been better. Um, it's one of those, yeah. I think Italy starts next week. Serie A starts next week. A big talking point in terms of transfer news. Denzel Dumfries to Inter, but also Edin Dzeko. Dzeko replacing Lukaku. Dumfries replacing Hakimi. It's a bit like going and selling, you know, making quite a big amount of money on... I don't know. This is a terrible analogy. I was going to say it's like selling at Waitrose and going to Aldi, but maybe maybe that's a bit of a disservice. Dumfries had a good Euros. Dzeko is a veteran goal scorer, but not really in the same cali- caliber as a as a as a twenty eight year old Romelu Lukaku. Um, but, probably, but solid business, I suppose. Probably means the emphasis goes a bit more on Lotaro Martinez. Yep, doesn't it to be the focal goal scorer? Dzeko is very astute signing. Scores a few goals at that level. You know, he probably won't be your 25-goal striker, man, but he'll certainly no. bad goal at that level for you. Yeah. Uh, Denzel Humphreys obviously had a really good Euro. He's got a lot of interest. Um, whether he's as good as Hakimi, time will tell. I think Hakimi's excellent at what he does, though. And, mm. um, you know, um, he, he, I'm sure he'll do very well, Dumfries. He's, he's not 
you know, he had a good Euros, but he's not exactly sort of your most sort of like high profile. But, you know, we know Inter are struggling off the pitch with money. So probably have to do make do with what they could get, really. And, you know, I still think Inter have a very good squad. They've lost two big names, but, you know, they've got Nico Barella in the middle of the park, who I think is an excellent footballer. Martinez is still there. Super. It's, you know, there's still, there's still a good squad there. And, you know, I think Tomani and Zaghi will... I think he'll do well. I don't think they'll win the league, but I think they'll. I still think they'll do all right. Inter. As I say, it's very difficult to sort of do rounds where there's there been one game that's been played across many of these leagues. It's very difficult, you know. And of course, you've got the EFL going on as well. For all of the latest information on terms of, don't know where that was my European, general European accent. For all of your latest information, scores, reaction to that news, do check out vobble.com. For all of the latest podcasts, do subscribe, do like, do review. I mean, to be fair, you can just subscribe and you'll still get it, but it'd be appreciative if you like a review, five-star on Apple, uh, if it's on Apple, it should be, uh, and also review, very, very important analytically uh, that you do that, but also really good that you can subscribe as well. So it's quite a, quite a different feel to that podcast and what we had in mind because, as I say, our Southampton editor was not here, so we could not do our in-depth feature on Southampton, which is probably a good thing because it's already gone over the hour mark. Uh, maybe it won't do depending on edits. I don't know. But yeah, big thanks to Callum, who's looking like sleepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the sign of a man who's got work at five in the morning. It's quite, it's quite sad that. Um, this is the sound. I'm also sounding quite sleepy. The sound of a man who's going to edit this together and has work at well, slightly later than that, so maybe not quite as tired. Uh, but yeah, it, blissfully wonderful start to the Premier League season and to the seasons of many of the Europe's elite leagues and of course the second week of the EFL as well. Fantastic to see all the fans back. Of course they were back last week but they've also you know it's just such such a wonderful thing to see that football is authentically back now with the supporters as it should be and long may that continue touch wood. Stay safe Thanks for listening. Go to Bible.com for all the latest information on sport. Click subscribe for all the latest podcasts with brilliant guests in the future.